0: Before then, the, the chronology of your life is uh, surprisingly bare. To then so we'd like to remedy that somewhat. You
1: know, it's a, it's a very complicated kind of a life I had, yeah. and in general, I never get into that.
0: Is that funny? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I put a new tape, and I'll just try, if I need an hour here, I will just call. Would, would about seven thirty be good? Oh, perfect. I think, or maybe uh, seven thirty is good. Yeah. If we can do it. It is Friday night, I guess, Oh, uh, yeah. Did you study
1: English with the tutors? And unfortunately, no. <clears throat> I studied this one year and a half when I went to school. I studied English with somebody who was not English. But that was nothing. But enough not to get the real English accent. And when I came here, I just stumbled around. And I'm sorry, because... This is the only language I speak with an accent. Oh, really? And, you know, if I would have just taken a teacher, that
0: would yeah, be I'm in Could, So what, what languages did you, did you study? Well, you I didn't French, even study.
1: French was really German, French, Italian.
0: You spoke all those? Oh,
1: sure. So only. First language I read uh, and wrote was French.
0: My mother taught.
1: <coughs> of course, German was spoken in the house too. But not too okay, much.
0: Sure.
1: Because there were so many servants who were Italian okay, and Polish and Czechoslovakian and God knows what. Yeah, well, we
0: were servants
1: had a very, that's very that's great that's part that's in my life.
0: Okay, thank you very yeah. Was there, was there anyone
1: that of them that you that you really... Oh yes, my, my wet nurse, and my brother's nurse, and some cooks, and God knows what, great friendships and great loves. They told me everything about in their lives, even when I was a small child. Their lovers and their children, and their illegitimate their children, all that. Did you...
0: Uh, did you read? Were you a reader
1: when you were a child? Yes. At the age of 11, maybe, Then I read all night long and couldn't get up in the morning like a chat. child. What, what,
0: what kind of things did you read? Do you
1: remember? Well, don't forget, my, my father had a library of 5,000 books, and I could read what I wanted, with the exception of certain things.
0: Oh, what do you have to do to that phone to make it not…
1: Uh... It's, it'll, it'll stop in one minute.
0: One minute? <laughs> 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 One minute, that's this, this minute is brought to you by Bell Telephone. <laughs> right. That's great. Well, I've never left it out long enough to find
1: that out, you see? I always do, because it uh, protects oh, me.
0: When you go out, yeah. You
1: see, when burglars come, they call up before. They don't know okay. if people are talking or if what right. happens.
0: Right, right. I think someone yeah. probably there, yeah.
1: They, they can't check on that.
0: Yeah. irritating noise. Is it? <laughs> it's designed to be as irritating. You're right, there it stops. <laughs> oh. Well, what, um, do we have any more questions about...
1: Uh, you see, for instance, the performances in this club of modern music were so extraordinary. First of all, there were an enormous quantity of rehearsals. And then... The performance—it was not permitted to, to applaud. The public was not permitted to applaud. And then, difficult pieces were played two, three times.
0: And on separate occasions.
1: No, on the same occasion, one time after the other. And also, well, didn't didn't,
0: rehearsal after all. didn't he believe to, to in, in playing things several times? You could come on different occasions as well and hear them, so that people no, could really get a chance no, to
1: hear it. it was played once, twice, and sometimes three times in one performance.
0: That's that, fair, was yeah. a, that
1: was the only terrific education of modern music I've ever heard.
0: Yeah, if you really want to educate people, that's really a good way to do it rather than just to entertain them. That's really uh, crazy. Well I think and Schoenberg it's, uh, I guess what I want to, what I'm thinking is simply is uh, uh, Is there anything, is there any way we could summarize or you could characterize what the effect on on your life of having this other family that had this incredible thing going on, uh, what the effect of that was on you or how do you feel about that now? (coughs) It certainly changed your life. It did. (coughs) But I'm wondering, in in what way do you feel it changed your life? uh?
1: You see, my father so far and his great cultural level he had was a bourgeois kind of a cultural level, uh-huh. <coughs> and that was a kind <coughs> of a luxury. Great music, pianists, artists invited to play in the house concert and so forth. Uh-huh. But when I came to Schindler, I saw these people who starved to death, and they were the great artists.
0: It was a necessity, not a luxury.
1: And these were the the great artists of of our time. And what kind of a life they had. And what kind of a complete different mentality. It had nothing to do anymore with the culture of the bourgeois. Uh And it was very, very difficult for me in the beginning to switch from one into the other. And many times I would have wanted to run away because I was a stranger. But I didn't run away. And I stuck it out. And I think that was decisive for my life. See, for instance, the one remark Schoenberg made when a very well-known composer stopped him in the school and said, Mr. Schoenberg, do you think that I have talent? And Schoenberg said, this I don't know. This you have to know. I can understand talent only by the amount of passion and interest somebody has for what he's doing. You see, a 12-year-old is impressed forever. And I think my, I believe that when it comes to feeling what goes on in the field of photography or painting or music, that I don't make mistakes or wrong judgments, and that I find out what is the true and what is a false comes right from there. For instance, one student once said to him, I don't understand that score, Mr. Schoenberg. And Schoenberg said, do you understand your cigarette? You see, this whole mentality of non-intellectualism and they were the real great workers. You could do anything in this kind of a place, but when you said something for me, well you have a well finished. And I think that is is with me since my childhood now. That I couldn't learn in my father's house.
0: Yeah.
1: And also the difference between values and misery and luxury. My father was very intelligent. He recognized and that artists were poor and gave a lot of money to them. And, and yet, to see who was successful in the field of music, all the funny balloonists, all the, the composers of, of the fashion of that time, all the second, third, fourth race, and that these people were the ones which were staffed out, that made a great difference in my whole life.
0: Yeah, a little example, that few people have, uh, that seems like... I'm also wondering, uh, in a more general way, just um, what your feeling was about living in Vienna at this time. This is a kind of a, I think it's been referred to as... But Vienna
1: was finished, you see. I do not even remember Vienna of being this tremendous city of luxury and the most extraordinary city was Vienna, next to Paris.
0: You don't, ha- you don't have that personal re- recollection?
1: I uh, only have the recollection of the luxury in my house, but not at all of anything else. And then came the war and then finished it well.
0: Yeah, you were fairly young before
1: yeah. the, no, the war started. So
0: the, mm-hmm. the last sort of golden age, I guess you were still quite just a child. Um, Well, uh, why don't we, uh, I heard that that while I was on the phone you were talking about learning English. Um, And I was just wondering about uh, your transition from Vienna to Paris, um, how that came about or what prompted you to...
1: uh, Well, you see...
0: Had you been to Paris before you moved to Paris or...
1: I was in the French Riviera when I was a child, I think. But my mother, after the death of my father, you see, no French woman will ever live in another country but in France, if she can't if she can help it. So she decided to go to, to France, and the house was sold. And there was a terrible trouble in Italy with the properties. This is not to be described, like with lumb, you know. Yes. Worse. <laughs> and then my sister went with my mother, and I also went to the French to Pierre, and then I decided that I would not want to go back to Vienna, that I would want to live in Paris. And as I was singing, and this great singer who was in connection with Schoenberg lived in Paris, I had no reason to go back to Vienna. I wanted... This is Maria Freund Maria Frank. Yeah. And I stayed there.
0: So, your, your father died sometime before 1922?
1: Yeah. I don't know what the hell he died. and. And I stayed in Paris and studied with her. And then something went wrong with my voice, <coughs> very bad. And I gave it up, started to paint. And then came, but this was a long time. So. Yeah, that, so you,
0: in 1922, I guess... Is Don't when come you
1: with all these you darling. You'll, I'll never get it straight in my life. Hmm? I'll Find never me. get it straight in my life. I went to Paris and then I started singing. For many years, unfortunately, I continued studying singing, when already it was clear that my voice had been ruined forever. It was not the singing teachers ruined my voice. There's no question about it.
0: Singing teachers before (coughs) you went to Paris.
1: Singing teachers before I went to Paris also ruined my voice. They are all very famous. Or I had a voice very very different. I had a lot of trouble with the voice, with the piano. I had no trouble with. The violin I had no trouble with painting I had no trouble with photography I had no trouble. With the harmonica as a child I had no trouble. <laughs> with dancing I had no trouble and then dancing is the way I dance. I had no trouble. I was pretty free in doing things. And with singing I had a tremendous trouble. Hmm. That was very, very terrible. And until I really literally gave it up. And then I dropped the music completely, and I'm very sorry for it. I should have never dropped the piano.
0: Why, why if if the the music was, the the singing was so difficult, why do you suppose you chose that to pursue? Because it was difficult? Well, I'm going to
1: explain that to you. You know, I'm very embarrassed to explain all that. When I started to play the piano, when I stopped playing the violin, I played the violin very well. All my teachers always said, my God, she could go so much further, but she's lazy. And suddenly I had enough of this violin and my love for the piano came out. So one day I sat down, and I knew where the keys were, you see. After all, I knew how to read music. And I took simple things like a little sonata by Mozart and a little thing by Bach, and I took it off from there and I played it on the piano all by myself. And Schoenberg heard me play one day here comes another disaster. <clears throat> and he said, well, this is a quite an extraordinary kind of an interpreter. Because you have to study the piano with Starr. And I said, but I don't want to study the piano. I just want to play it by myself. Don't forget that I heard all my childhood, my father plays the piano for hours a day. That's enough to sit down and be able to play it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You already had so, an ear for it sort of. Not only that but I had absorbed it So Schoenberg insisted and he was the one Then I obeyed I wouldn't have obeyed my parents but when Schoenberg said something I didn't go to Weiner because he didn't want me to go and you
0: study with So Stouren. I
1: went to Sturman and listened to this and I came to Sturman and I played a little sonata for him and a little bit Bach and said, this one and he was walking up and down and up and up smoking a pipe. And then he said, all right, for the next time, you play the first movement of this Beethoven sonata and then you play this fantasy by Mozart. I mean, this is factual. And maybe one part of this fantasy of Schumann. And I said to myself, this is a little bit too much. No? And I tried. It was unbelievably difficult. And I did what I couldn't when I came back the second time. He suddenly stopped and he said, why is your left hand so bad? And I said, because so far I've always avoided to play with my left hand. And suddenly he stopped and said, well, who the hell was your piano teacher? I said, I didn't have a piano teacher. I only played the piano for three months on my own. Uh, you will hear a reaction. Steinmann said, From now on, you are going to play with your left hand too. It up. <laughs> so, you see, this is Europe. In America, they would have said, My God, what a genius, what a talent, how extraordinary. Nothing. So one day I was in a concert. And the pianist very intelligent and rich. Viennese woman came over to me and said, you are the little girl, Steiman says you're so unbelievably gifted. I said, No, that's not me. (laughs) Steumann always said he only taught to weathos, you know and so forth. I have one talented student, unfortunately she can't play the piano. <laughs> oh,
0: telling nice stories about you behind your back. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> because you see, that was not cultivated to tell people how talented they were, how great they were. If they were interested in music, naturally they had to have some gift, otherwise they wouldn't be interested. That was taken for granted. That's, that's where you started. And, and nothing, not one word was lost about this problem.
0: When you mentioned that woman, I had another another name that we had down here that, that popped in my head, a, a woman uh, who I guess, in this biog- same biography of Schoenberg, is referred to as giving a party after one of the performances of something, some piece. Mrs. Pappenheim, I think is her name. Oh
1: yes, that was a very interesting one. It's fantastic what you know. Uh, Marie Pappenheim was a physician. She herself was a physician. She was a physician. And the psychiatrist who came to my parents, I told you about, From was her husband, Dr. Frischhoff. He was a school psychiatrist, a great psychiatrist. And Mrs. Pappenheim was an extraordinary woman, as ugly as a sin, but extraordinary. One of the most intelligent women. And she also was a writer and a poet. And she was one of the closest friends of Schoenberg, and she was my private physician. And she was the one who wrote this opera, uh, Die Glückliche Hand.
0: What is that again? It's
1: an opera for one person, Schoenberg wrote. That was her, her writing, her play. Oh,
0: she wrote the, the.
1: Yeah, Die Glückliche Hand. The happy, the fortunate hand. Of course, it never was played. Nobody knew it, never heard it. It was played probably. Now it is played. Schoenberg isn't played here either. Always Berg and Leben. Mm -hmm. They are considered, he's a great composer. It's not true, they are. But of course is not great. Yeah.
0: So she was often the host of... uh, Yes, they lived there, they slept
1: there, there, they were there.
0: And her husband's name was?
1: Dr. Frischoff. Frischoff? Yeah, Dr. Frischoff. She She went by... Who was a marvelous poet, too. Hmm. You see, these were very, very wonderful people.
0: People who weren't just one-dimensional, it seems oh, okay. like. yeah. Well, okay, we're still trying to get you uh, to, Paris. to Paris kind of here. Um, I'm trying to understand just, uh, let's see, when you sold the house, your sister would have moved with your mother?
1: My sister was very, very young. Of course, she moved with my mother and I went. Also to the French Riviera, w- over was the it, summer. Was it Nice? Uh, nice. Was that where the house was? You had a
0: the house, house there?
1: No. No. My mother went to Nice because her uncle was the archb- had been the archbishop of Nice, and had created over there a kind of a cloister, or I don't know what, and she had seen him very often as a child there, and so is buried next to him. In in Nice. Yeah. And so I went to Nice and then from there on of course I decided to go to Paris and continue my studies of singing with Maria Fran. No, you that went was
0: you went to Paris then on your own?
1: All on my own and it was unbelievably difficult. Because I had to live in one room in a hotel or in a pension for me. And I was used to live in this kind of a god forbidden kind of a house and, and and this was unbelievably difficult. For me also, the society of Maria Freund did not correspond to what I had been used. It was the tout Paris, the beautiful people on an intellectual level, and I couldn't get along with these people. Would,
0: would this be the first time you had, had lived uh, without servants of some kind?
1: Sure. <clears throat> and you went I couldn't the get along with these beautiful people. Of course, and the first time I lived in a small pension for me, and I had money to live on, but not in an extravagant way, you, you, know? Know you and, uh, and it was a very dangerous thing for a very young girl to live alone in Paris, which I didn't know, of course. I never knew the dangers. I didn't know the danger was long either. Yeah. And I could curse myself for being... You see, to trust everybody is not right, and to trust nobody isn't right either. But it all depends in what constellation one is with somebody. Somebody can be a nice friend of yours, but when jealousy, or business, or money comes in between, the person changes. Mm. The, the whole situation changes.
0: Did you live in a particular uh, uh, hotel,
1: or... Oh, I, No, I was... Time?
0: Did you move around a lot, or?
1: The first year in Paris, I moved 18 times. <laughs> like your I school. I, I just couldn't get used. You kept looking for a different place but And then happened something interesting because I lived in Otoy where Maria Frank lived and the musicians and the rich people lived in Tassi and Otoy. And Adolf Luz, you know who that is?
0: Adolf Luz. Adolf Luz. L O O S
1: Yes, the architect. Mm-hmm. The avant-garde architect in Europe, one of the great architects who had built in nineteen hundred and ten the first house in Vienna without decoration. Hmm. And that made such a revolution that the whole Vienna fell to pieces. I don't know that because my father always told me. And of course, I met then Adolf Loos. And Adolf Loos has written this famous book, Crime and Decoration.
0: Crime and Decoration?
1: Crime and Decoration. <laughs> and uh, he came to Paris, and I knew him from Schoenberg and from the school because he lectured for the children's school. Mm-hmm. No, for instance, it is a sin to have a buttonhole when there is no button to put in. He lectured about all that.
0: He was against useless ornament. Sure.
1: He was an extraordinary man. And then he was in Paris, and he found me over there at this woman teacher. And this Bryant. society was very sophisticated and very. You know, the Clemenceaus were there, and these people were there, and those people were there. And I wasn't used to this phony baloney society. They were very intelligent people, but who was I in this great Paris, you see? I was a little girl of nothingness, but when I was in Vienna, I was a little girl, and I was not nothing, Mm -hmm. you see? And over there, she hadn't, how much money does she have? Not much, just to live. But is she a great artist? No, she's a student. Who is she? And these people, I couldn't stand.
0: They didn't accept you, and you no. didn't accept them. As a result, well,
1: some of them did. There was the old, the old minister Pallaudet, who had an incredible liking for me. Who? Palouet was the minister of finance in Paris, and was also the man who translated the uh, the um, what did Einstein invent? This kind
0: of. Theory of
1: relativity? Yeah, he he translated that in French. It was also the man who made Schoenberg come to Paris. He was quite an extraordinary man. And he had a specific kind of a liking for me. Hmm. Always looking at this lonesome, lonely little girl who was lost in this. And I was immediately called L'Enfant Terrible (laughs) because I said all the things I was used to saying. always what I thought, but in Paris I couldn't. And for instance, was a famous conductor, Oskar Fried, and uh, German conductor, and uh, Maria Freund and her sons detested everything German because they were Polish, you know, Polish nationalists. Mm-hmm. And once I was at a party where Oskar Fried said something, and the son of Maria Freund said, oh, isn't that extraordinary, that Germans can only do that and nobody else can do what do? And I looked at him and I said, you always hate the Germans, and suddenly you say that? Well, my dear, that was incredible to say And all these things, I was very dangerous there. And it was Adolf Lowe's who, from that party, took me by the hand, put me in a taxi, brought me to Montparnasse, and said, that's where you belong. You can sit here on a table with anybody, and nothing is ever going to happen to you. That wasn't true. But from that day on, I took the subway every day and went to Montparnasse, and then moved to Montparnasse because that was my surrounding and not that.
0: Is And is that where you began to associate with painters then? With
1: painters, it was, okay.
0: Well, that was after you had been in Paris, what, a couple of years,
1: or? No, two years maybe, not things. too long. Yeah. No. Huh. Because it's a very strange thing.
0: So you when you got to Montparnasse were you able to settle there and not move eighteen times?
1: did you did you No then settle? I then I lived in a hotel in in Montparnasse, near Montparnasse and stayed there for many years. That was a completely different life. Mm-hmm. I met young artists and people and friends and sculptors and painters and that was another life.
0: Do you uh, remember the name of the hotel or the
1: address per chance? Yes. Hotel de la Porte d'Orléans.
0: To La Porte d'Orléans, of the West,
1: West Gate? Uh, La Porte Orléans, that is where ends ends there, Over there were all these new houses and the Cité universitaire. And uh-huh. I lived in this hotel many years. I
0: was just wondering how, how, how far away from the back it was.
1: Oh, that is very close. Maybe 20 minutes to walk. Well, the obvious question
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is, did you know Bernice in, in Paris? Yes,
1: yeah, I didn't know a single photographer. Yes, I did know photographers. After a while, because my sister studied with Ergy Landau. But uh, I. Oh, wait, who was that your sister studied with? Ergy Landau. She was a very well known photographer in Paris. Hmm. she She studied a little bit there. She was there only one year. She always lived in the French (coughs) Riviera. But I never knew Cartes. He was always there, of course. Did you ever? My husband knew Cartes.
0: Ah, okay. Well, maybe we, uh, uh, we should talk about how you're getting into painting. You're beginning to paint, that
1: now. Oh, that was uh, very complicated how I got to paint.
0: Now, when you when you made this move um, to Montparnasse was that was the end of your music. No, 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 you no. You continued no, to study with with Maria. And the then point? I played
1: the piano again, and that changed music teachers, and that changed singing teachers, and that went all. And it was, uh, I met a guy who was a painter and writer and horrible of a guy.
0: All kinds of people in Paris at that time.
1: Well, you see, through this man, who changed a great deal of my life, and his wife, who was by accident my ex-sister-in-law. Twenty years later, oh I man. met Sanders. Oh, eventually. You mean this?
0: Eventually. This connect, no wait, through this man. You say what? Who was,
1: no. was? Well, this man. No, that was a. Oh,
0: this, this is, is the, man, the man you're talking a about. A man who was
1: a man whose name was Victor Bauer, a writer and a painter, and he had a strange kind of a relationship with everybody. But I do not want to talk too much about this one.
0: Yeah,
1: I understand. But uh, in a way. I, his uh, girlfriend was a very gifted sculptress and designer and I lived there with him in Italy and partially in Nice and then I think through that I got interested in painting. But I started it all by myself alone in Paris, without knowing my husband. This was before you met
0: him? Yeah. Did you start painting after the voice?
1: Yes, and, uh, I, I realized up. that there was something that was unsurmountable. And yes. you see, today it wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Because if that would have happened today, I would have stopped every kind of, of training. But you see, the trouble is when you train voices, physiologically something happens which you can't overcome. The, the vocal cords are trained in a specific way and they react. You see, like dancers, which are wrongly trained. Uh-huh. And it takes them 20 years to get out of this wrong training.
0: Yeah, let me, let me pause a second.
1: Long time before. What, you know, I started to paint and.
0: This is when you, uh, when you get, quit the music, and, or quit the, the singing. Yeah. Yeah. So if we were if we roughly just wanted to pin this down, it was after about four years in Paris or or six that you began Thirty
1: thirty seven, thirty six. 37 thirty six, you see I gave up you
0: music.
1: Maybe thirty five, thirty six.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh so you would have been doing the music I mean, in, in Paris for uh, 12, for a long time.
1: Twelve Not fourteen too years. Too much, too Even, and I made all kinds of mistakes because why did I give up the piano playing? Mm-hmm. The piano was such a natural instrument for me.
0: You mean I you should could have, have
1: just a piano here to play all the time.
0: You mean you should have just given up the voice?
1: Absolutely, I should have. Oh, but you. But somewhere, somewhere, I was depressed about the whole situation. And so you, you just yeah.
0: dropped music altogether.
1: Yeah, and then I started to paint, and and then came photography, and.
0: Now I, I've I've seen a remark that I guess. Was quoted from you, or correctly or incorrectly, in some of the articles that have been published, where you are said to remarked that one of the things about music you began to realize was that it was a hearing world and not a seeing world. Or, oh, yes. well, I wonder what you meant by that exactly, because I.
1: Well, you see, I was. Everybody is either more visual, or more interested in hearing, or both. In my case, it was so drastic. This has been freshly painted (laughs) Excuse me. I stick to my board. With me, that was so drastic that I was concentrated only on hearing that when I had to make examinations and draw something for my examinations, I couldn't do it. And they said, well, the child can't draw. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to. And I didn't want to see anything. I lived between all these painters, between all these paintings, between surrealism, between uh, Cubism was finished probably about now. All these painters in Montparnasse I never ever looked at anything. I have never been in the Louvre until today, museums, that is the greatest sport on earth, when I was traveling to Italy because I had to travel because of these uh, properties and so you couldn't get me ever to look at Venice, or to Rome, or to Florence. I didn't want to see it. And I saw Paris only when I had a guest, I had to take a bus and choose a city. But I didn't know Paris at all. Mm. I knew Paris when I came back in '53. I looked at it for the first time in my life. Yeah,
0: that must have been amazing.
1: And you see, it was this man, Victor Bauer, who once said to me, Anybody as bland as you are, if you would start to get busy to do something in painting or whatever, it would be very original because you have never seen anything in your life. And so that happened.
0: So did you just did you paint uh, in oil? Well,
1: I started to paint on my own, and I did it in a quite nice way, but then very soon came the situation with photography.
0: So yeah, it was 30, you said it was 35 or 36.
1: Photography was, was 37, 30, 36 and a half.
0: So it's very soon after that. And you, you know
1: how that happened.
0: Well, we, why don't you tell us, because we've heard, but let's have it in your own words rather than someone's writing about it is probably better.
1: So. One day, I walked around in Montparnasse and at a table was sitting a student of Schoenbeck, a very, very well-known composer, Hans Eisler, (coughs) out of the communist family, Eisler. And he stopped me and he said, he was much older than I, you see, I was was a child in Schoenbeck's house, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I gave up this damn singing. I couldn't succeed, and I have started to paint." And he said, you must be insane. To paint? In this kind of a time, he had just run away from Hitler. And he was a communist. And he was one of those communists who felt like in Russia at that time, that when a revolution goes on, or when a society breaks down, art doesn't exist. One has other things to do, much more valuable things to do. And he said, that is what you are doing? And I said, yes, and he said, this is insanity. Do you realize that your fortune in Italy is going to fall down very soon when the Second War is going to come, and you have absolutely nothing in your hands to make a living because you don't know a damn thing? Hmm. And that was a shock.
0: No one had said that to you before. Of course not. You had never thought of it. No. you? How had you been, uh, you had, when you first got to Paris, you had, I assume, enough money
1: Well, I always had to get some money from Italy, and then when Mussolini prohibited money getting out of Italy, I had to travel over there and swindle it out three times a year, which was very dangerous, but I did.
0: So you had a sort of an income from this project. Of course,
1: very good one. That's another story I know to get in. So I was terribly shocked and scared and frightened, and I said to myself, what is it I can do? And then I realized that my sister, who always lived somewhere else, but accidentally this winter in Paris, was an amateur photographer, and apparently a very good one. And I had always looked at these pictures and said, how can anybody on earth recognize if that's good or bad, this kind of gray and gray and nothing and nothing. And I said to her, can you loan me your camera so that I can try out? and become a laboratory worker, because I didn't want to photograph.
0: You just wanted a job.
1: Yes, I, I realized that there are people who were printing. And she loaned me her Roleflex and I didn't know what to do with it. And now I must say something and give credit to somebody. Okay. There was Kerté's first wife, whom he had just left, and went away with another one. And she adored him, and she almost died out of sorrow. And she, he left her without a scent. She was a very sick woman. She was a very gifted painter. And in order to make a living, she had taken up photography, but not with a roll And I said to her, could you show me how to take pictures? And she said yes, but she didn't know how to work with a roll either. but that wasn't too difficult. And she went around Paris with me maybe four, five times and she called me her daily bread. And-
0: She was like a tutor to you?
1: Yes, and she showed me how to handle that roller flex. And one day she said, what do you see here around? Well, I said, this woman, maybe this guy there, and maybe this, and she said, Never ever photograph anything you feel lukewarm about it, only what you are passionately interested in. And that is the only lesson in photography I ever got.
0: What was her name? We should record her name first. Yes.
1: Her name is uh, Rosie Cruz, and I'm going to ask See, you know, all these photographers are now dug out. Yeah. And I do not know if she's still alive. She's a very good photographer. And if she's still alive I and mean, in Paris, which I can find out easily through my French friends. How? how? how I don't know how.
0: Wondering how her Ma- name would be spelled. Roger would be like Roger only. No,
1: Roger, that is Hungarian. R O S Z I. Roger. Yeah. And then Andre, she called herself Andre. She was so much in love with Andre Cartes that she borrowed his first name. His so that was in just. In of the fact he had thrown her out. It
0: She went by. Yeah, Roger yeah. Andre. She was Hungarian also then? Yes. She, they were married. She was his wife.
1: She was his wife. And then he, he married the second wife, who is a wonderful person too. But he left this one and she almost died. D-
0: did you know him? Before, no, I didn't know Only
1: once one, she went in the street and almost she fainted and she said he is Cartes. But my husband knew Cartes. And it's a wonderful kind of a thing. Yevsa wrote on the photograph, on the on the drawing he made and which is in one of his books. It's one of the most beautiful things he wrote by giving him this little drawing. I will show that to you one day. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, so, so that
1: was all. And then I went to Italy. Because in Italy I could buy myself everything I wanted, and bought myself an enlarger, a flex and the like, and had it shipped to, to Nice. That's when I started to photograph.
0: Oh, I see. You could spend the, the easiest thing to do was to go to. to Italy could and spend, spend the money in Italy.
1: Everything in Italy. You just couldn't take it out. I couldn't take it out. But I did. I risked my life three times a year. That well, would did, have been. Did you just it.
0: get cash and then just, smuggle? Smuggle the cash.
1: I could have gotten ten years. Of prison, but I did. And the money I came to America for, I was one million lire I was carrying in a bag, and I gave to a man in, in Milano, and he gave me. Oh, I risked my life all the time. <laughs> I had to "Who wants to live with, with Mussolini later? Not me." Yeah, really. So that was the beginning, and you see, I never, ever thought of myself as a photographer, ever. I didn't know what a photograph was. Let's,
0: um, let's go back and maybe talk about Yesa, uh when you met him, because um,
1: he obviously... Well, I met Yefsa in all kinds of ways. When I was in Paris, I met a fascinating old woman who was like a gypsy, and she made flowers and all kinds of marvelous things. And one day she called me up and she said, you have to come tonight because there is a painter going to be here, and I want you to marry him. And I, <laughs> said, and I said, first of all, I'm not coming, and second, I have a terrible headache, and said, I don't want to get married. I never wanted to be married in my life. know, well, the marriage of my parents was enough. Never ever to get married. To live in one house with a lover, that was as close as I could go. And then I met Yves in her house, and he was incredibly beautiful, and I said to him, I said, this woman is crazy, <laughs> and a painter whose name is Model. what is more ridiculous than this? <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, what the hell is this? And he said, could I make a portrait of you? And I said, yes, you can come one day, and he took an appointment. And he was one second late and I ran away and I met him on the stairs and I said, I'm sorry, I have to leave. <laughs> and then I saw him in my and, but never talked to him. Then I met him in the house of my lover, in my boyfriend, in, in Nice. And I had not one look for him. And then a couple of years later I met him from La Des Anglais, and he was working in a vegetarian restaurant cutting vegetables. (laughs) And we got in arguments, one after the other. We quarrelled so much that people left because they couldn't eat. (laughs) (laughs) And I had a boyfriend, a German boyfriend, who went to Russia, you see, and it was this summer that I decided that I would leave this very wonderful young man, and he was yes.
0: Now, was, was this when you were still
1: singing,
0: or was
1: this, no. this was after? That was when I w- had started to paint and had started to photograph.
0: So, would have been after 36, 37. Yeah. So, 37, a lot of different things happened, really, uh, in a
1: sense. 36, so, I think. Yeah. So, then I lived with him. And then, in order to get this $1 million lire out of Italy, I met once a lawyer in the street, and he said, you know, I found out that you can get an incredible amount of money. You can have it in Italy. You can have it for yourself. You can't get it out. Uh, If you are married. I said, whom am I going to marry? Well, he said, how about this guy you're living there for years? Well, I said, I can't marry this one. He has no passport. He has a Russian kind of, you know. He went out of Russia during the revolution. He walked out of Russia as a child at the age of sixteen. He Literally says. walked out. Walked out to China. What,
0: what was his? Uh, uh, we read somewhere that his name had been changed.
1: No, his name wasn't changed. His father that was. Oh, his uh, father, father was himself. a writer, a revolutionary writer in Russia, and changed his name. So it's a. A writer's name, Moget.
0: It's a pen name. Like, yes, it's a pen you, name. What was the original name? You I know? don't know. You never
1: know? It was my husband. He didn't know anything. Ah, no. I, I had to know everything about him through his sister. He didn't know anything. Or he forgot, he didn't want to remember, I don't know. And so that was, I don't know what I wanted to say. You
0: were talking about the lawyer and the getting the money out. Yes.
1: After. And then I went, I met this lawyer. And I said, I, I couldn't marry this guy. I would lose my citizenship.
0: Now which citizenship?
1: My Austrian Austria, citizenship. You, citizen. you know, when I came to Paris, the authorities asked me when I was going for my carte d'identité, why don't you become a French citizen? Your mother is French. You live in France. That was very rare, because they didn't want to give it to women. Mm-hmm. And I said I have no intention to change any citizenship. What's what's so bad about Austrian and so good about French? And I didn't do anything about that. But I had a feeling that marrying a man who had no citizenship, because you see the passport of the of the Russians was no citizenship. For instance, was very difficult for him to travel. Yeah. I would lose mine, and I was that, there was a terrific lawsuit going on in Italy about his property, and that I would lose my citizenship, and it would be very bad. Then the second time, the lawyer came about and said, I have have found out that you do not lose your citizenship when you marry this husband, but you are going to be married, and they can have one million lire, and there is a way of getting it out. And then I came home, and I said to my husband, my poor dear, we are going to get married. And he said, oh, no. (laughs) And I said, no for myself. And then friends of us said, you must be really nuts. What's the matter with your truth? There's all this advantage, and these both don't want to get married. <laughs> and then they said to Jeff, so you are nuts. This is a formality, it doesn't mean anything. So one day, when all the money from Italy had run out, and we had literally nothing to eat because I had to go over there and again get it, I said, now this is ridiculous. Let's take a couple of, Then was great difficulty already, Austria, and and Hitler, would I get the permission to marry a Jew? This would have been 30 yeah. 37, 37, yeah, something like that. And I went to the embassy and they said they will do their best. And there was a strange thing that my religious religion professor in school, when I was... In, here, yeah. He was a very extraordinary man and had become a bishop. And he may have remembered the name and gave the permission. So now I went to the embassy and the ambassador said, congratulations, Mr. Modell, you got the permission. And I said, now, isn't that wonderful? Now I can get my money out of Italy. And he said, is that the reason why you marry? I said, yes. It's very shock. I guess. <laughs> This kind of <laughs> and then we had nothing to eat this day, and we picked up nothing to eat. Picked up two drunks in the streets of Paris, you see? I mean drunks, bums. And said, you want to be our witness? Yes, come. And we went to the mairie. There were already hundreds of people, and they were all married in one room. And they all came with their illegitimate children, French workers, you know. Had lived together for years and years together. And that was a marriage in group. Do you such and such and such want to marry this and this? Yes, raise your hand. <laughs> That's the way I got married. I forgot to tell my mother. <laughs> and then when I came to Italy to visit her, I was married and she said, my child. And this husband of yours, it didn't get my permission and my consent. What is this? I said, it's nothing, we're just marriages, that's all. That's the way I do That's great. Uh, I I'm
0: was just imagining, you know, you're talking about wedding photographs of, of, of a huge group of people to the back. But account. there were hundreds
1: there. <laughs> all this, the people who this didn't one
0: picture, wedding picture, a little circle, here's you. That's right, that's <laughs> the
1: only way. And my husband said, yes, twice. And the, then the man said, you can't say yes, twice. You have to say yes or no. And I had to repeat yes. <laughs> and then I took the subway and went somewhere, and we felt that there was nothing ever changed. Yeah.
0: You want to take a little break here? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do okay. you want to go to the? They're ex-
0: they're expecting us about seven thirty. Let's let's stretch a little, and then uh, we'll see. Uh, okay. So if you done? want to go now? No, they're we they're not expecting us for another uh, half, an half an hour so. It's just okay. a block away. You I see,
1: I had no idea that I have to take my whole history of this
0: well, I should give you a new piece of paper here to to work with
1: and no, no, that's perfect.
0: save the names on that one yes
1: <laughs> and you see, I don't believe that that has anything to do with my photography. and that of course is not going to be published.
0: no, none of this is to be published at all in fact uh, uh let me just explain again in fact uh that the the uh the what will happen is this that we will um, take the tape and we will transcribe it that is to say have a written version of the tape and then um,
1: what happens with the tape
0: well the tape I mean I'll, we will preserve but let me let me I'll explain the whole thing and you can see um, and then the written version we will give you a copy of to to look over and if you wish to make changes, or if you remember other things that you want to add.
1: No, I think that I remember is that.
0: Or whatever, you know, but so that you will know. And then the, um, the, the kind of purpose in a sense is that this can be in an archive. And if you want to say that it's only open to people who get your written permission, we can do that. If you want to say, after you read it, if you look at it and you say, well, this is okay, anyone can read this. Then it will be that way. And if you want to say, I don't want anyone uh, to read this until I'm gone or till next year or whenever, we can do that. So it'll be completely in your control, and I will get. From yeah, you but
1: I would like to hear the tape. This is a trouble. Yeah.
0: The, well, the, you you can hear the tape also, although.
1: But I'm getting sick when I hear my voice.
0: Well, you see, this is why the why we, we have this this typed version is because I think that that's a. S- it's
1: not the same thing.
0: No, it's not. But it's it's um, from the standpoint of information, it's. It's more easy to use. I don't want someone listening back and forth to the tape and just taking a little thing out. I want them to be able to see the whole thing and we can… We can uh,
1: when can I listen to the whole tape?
0: Well, um, I guess as soon as we, we because have… Because you
1: see, I'm still an animal of the ears. Uh.
0: And to listen <laughs>
1: to something, means just a thousand times more than to read.
0: Well, what, reading, well, Reading um,
1: means little to me, listening means a lot.
0: Okay. Well, um, you can listen to the tape. I'll, what we want to do is, is see that there is one other copy in the world so that it, it won't get inadvertently lost. You know, when, And then when we have that, you can listen to it if you'd like. But I
1: thought that I can take out of the tape, for instance, what I don't want to be in, which I cannot imagine why I shouldn't want anything to be in. Because after all, what did I say so extraordinary? Nothing. Yeah,
0: no, it's very straightforward. Um, I mean, it's.
1: It's just that I always feel one life is as much as the other, and one person goes through approximately the same thing, and a little bit variation mm-hmm. than the other. The one has had a rich childhood, and the other poor one. The other one gets rich, and I got poor. So what's the difference? Yeah. Well,
0: the uh, you can you uh, you may listen to it, and you also may read it uh, both. You know.
1: Yes, I I I can mm-hmm. read it, but it is also the listening. You mm-hmm.
0: see which. You see, my, I'll tell you, my uh, feeling is that in terms of this process as, a, as to be useful uh, in some historical sense, which is really what we're interested in, um, that by and large most of those people will first want to read something, and then if they want to listen to tape, I, I don't think the tape should be something just anyone comes in and hears, you see.
1: There are certainly in these in tape things which I certainly don't care that anybody hears that. I mean, I would have to listen to it in order to see, in order to find out if I myself object, because you see that is what, the tape is finished now, no, you yeah, are interrupted there. Yeah. Does it go on?
0: Oh, it's still running.
1: Oh, it's running. Yeah, but I mean, Cut it down now. I mean, it's
0: just going since we're talking about these things, no,
1: I'm already finished. I'm reading this kind of a story about Spencer Tracy and Hepburn, you know, written by a very excellent movie director. Have you read that? No. It's I mean. unbelievable. How do people of that kind can work and succeed in Hollywood? It's not to be they they're extraordinary. People. Yeah, it's honest.
0: honest,
1: it's uncorrupted as themselves as interesting. Un- it's a ma- magnificent book. What,
0: what was the German word that you
1: said? Unverdorben. Un- unverdorben. Unverdorben. You see, in every language, the same words have a very slightly different meaning. Yeah. And when one says uncorrupt, it, you the same. can say that in German, nicht korruptiert, but unverdorben is different. And then there are in different languages no no equivalence of the same words. That
0: was he used that to describe you after he first met you?
1: Oh when I was a child when I was working with him and when I was in the house. He used to, he he said that. And of course that was a very difficult man imagine, but that was so simple. Thank you.
0: Well, um, okay. let me ask you, let me go on and ask a thing about Paris then again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said that EFSA knew, knew Cortez. Oh yes. Uh, wh- why would it be that he knew him and you didn't just...
1: Because he knew him when I, when he didn't know me.
0: Uh, he just traveled in that group of people, but uh... Yes. I'm wondering, did he, did EFSA, now, had he... You said he left Russia when he was like 16. Oh yes. So had, had he left just at the time of the
1: revolution, or no, before? Before. 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 Or during? During. Uh, you see, with Yes, you must know one thing about Yes. Nobody knows when he's born. Mm-hmm. He he was a kind of a guy who didn't give a damn. But in this kind of Russian families in Siberia, when a child was had a certain age. The parents would say, his sister told me, Well this child becomes impossible, has to go to school. You know? School was very far. Now when was he born? And then the whole family started to break their heads. I said, Well, it was at that time, it was at this time, no, it was at this time Uh Then they went to the authorities and they put down any garden sink. (laughs) Then he went away without papers. You see, he just walked out. You must Yes, it a very different kind of a case for me. Every time he met somebody, even in the hospital, he told a story how he walked out and walked to China. And the physicians, when he almost had died, said, is it true that he walked to China from Siberia? And I said, yes, it is true. Because his sister knew it. Was this, and did he leave for a political reason? Hmm? or? No, no, leaving, no, no, leaving no, no, no. He was afraid that he would have to go to the army that took boys of 16 and 17, and that was not a man who would have gone in the army as a child. This was a reason, one of the reasons why I stayed in America, not only because we felt it was wonderful, that I knew that if the war would break out in Europe, that he would be uh, mobilized as a French, and that he would refuse to ever have a gun in his hands. And in Europe they kill you, they shoot you when you do that, you are traitors. So that's that. And then when he came to Italy, and then he traveled to India. You know, he was in China, in Japan, in India, and he went from one country to the other making a living by painting, by sketching, by doing millions of things, until he went, came to France. And then in France, he came to Italy, and then he had to renew his papers. And then they asked him how old he was. Well, he had not the slightest idea. Who said any goddamn thing? So he was much younger than it was in his papers. Because mm-hmm. it isn't possible because I could calculate that his sister was older and that she was barely sixty when she died ten years ago or so and that wasn't possible. He was a younger brother, the youngest child. And he didn't give a damn about all that.
0: Yeah, I, I saw somewhere a reference to his to him being born in nineteen oh
1: one and
0: I was he was he the den- No,
1: the reference was he was born in eighteen ninety nine. Uh, Krishnamurti, they don't know when he's born. And sometimes they say in 1899, and sometimes they say in 1902, in other words, the guy doesn't know when he's born either. Five, six years difference. Hmm.
0: So uh, I was wondering, in terms of uh, other Russians, if if Emerson knew uh, Brodovich in Paris?
1: No, darling. you would never know somebody like that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but what do you think, Brodovitch was a? a, a no, Brodovitch okay. was a poster painter, and Brodovitch was the director of uh, one of the great department stores. The art director, making all the decorations, all the windows, and all that. And what did Gypsy have to do with that? Mm. Yeah.
0: I just wondered, since he was a Russian, is all
1: that... Uh, oh, no, darling, said yes, didn't know a single Russian in Paris and not a single yeah. Russian here. He didn't like these people. You see, when we came here, we don't know a single...